Welcome to the BJA Education Podcast. Welcome to the October 2018 edition of the BJA Education Podcast. My name's Cliff Shelton. Abdominal wall blocks have become a more prominent set of anaesthetic techniques in recent years, predominantly used for intra-abdominal and pelvic surgery. But they've attracted their fair share of controversy, both in terms of their effectiveness and reports of high complication rates in landmark techniques. So what is the current state of the art with abdominal wall blocks? To find out, I went to speak to Dr. Amit Power, who will be known to many listeners as the president of Regional Anesthesia Specialist Society, RAUK, to discuss his paper on abdominal wall blocks for intra-abdominal surgery. So I'm joined today by Dr. Amit Power, and he is a consultant anaesthetist at Guy's and Thomas's. He's joining me today to discuss his paper on abdominal wall blocks for intra-abdominal surgery. So thank you very much for joining us, Amit. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me along to the podcast, Cliff. Uh, I was very fortunate to, to write this paper along with uh, a couple of colleagues of mine, one of mine from Guy's and St. Thomas's Desire uh, on watching, and uh, Jens Borglund from, uh, from Denmark, who is a, a bit of an expert in the field. So uh, thank you for asking me. So you're here representing an international collaborative effort. Absolutely. Excellent. And your paper focuses mainly on the tap block and the quadratus lumborum block. And I think we'll follow that in the podcast, if that's okay with you. Absolutely fine. Okay, so to start us off, um, when we perform a regional anaesthetic technique for abdominal surgery, uh, what nerves are we trying to block? So pain from intra-abdominal surgery is a combination of both somatic and visceral pain. And somatic pain is a pain that most of us are familiar with. It's pain coming from skin, tissue and muscle. It's what we traditionally think of when we think of post-ruptive pain. This is transmitted from thoracoabdominal nerves uh, and is much more localised. Visceral pain, however, is transmitted from the autonomic nervous system via sympathetic fibres, and these form plexuses near the viscera involved, like the celiac plexus. This pain is sort of a little bit more diffuse, poorly localised, and can be associated with autonomic symptoms. The techniques, uh, central neuraxial techniques like uh, spinals and epidurals, block both types of pain, which is why they've been so popular in the past. But the more lateral techniques, such as the techniques we're discussing today, tend to only block the somatic pain. And therefore, when we're using these blocks, we tend to use them as part of a multimodal approach to analgesia. Uh, before we go on to discuss the specifics of those blocks, can you just remind the listeners of some of the relevant anatomy of the abdominal wall and how this relates to the nerve supply that you've just described? Okay, so if we start with the anterolateral abdominal wall, if you start from the midline, the rectus abdominis muscle, and then you move laterally, uh, there are three major abdominal muscles that we've all become familiar with, really, with learning about the tap block. Um, the external oblique is the most superficial uh, muscle, and it travels in an inframedial direction from the 5th to 12th ribs and inserts into the iliac crest and the pubic tubercle. Deep to the external oblique is the internal oblique muscle, and that travels in a supramedial direction from the iliac crest up to the 10th to 12th ribs, and it inserts also in the midline, right by the linear alba uh, in the rectus muscle. Often when you look on ultrasound, the internal oblique is the thickest muscle that you can see. Uh, deep to the internal oblique is the transversus abdominis muscle, and that runs, as the name suggests, in a transverse direction from the costal cartilages and also inserts into the linear alba. It's probably worth mentioning at this point that below the transverse abdominis muscle is the transversalis fascia, and you often see that when you're scanning with ultrasound. So all of these three muscles, the aponeurosis of these muscles, fuse to form the rectus sheath in the midline. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, somatic innervation of the abdominal wall is from T6 to T12 uh, and from the ileoinguinal and ileohypogastric nerves. Now, these thoracoabdominal nerves, as they're passing, uh, coursing through the body, they give off a lateral cutaneous branch in the mid-axillary line, and that supplies the area of the lateral abdominal wall. The anterior cutaneous branches emerge sort of below the costal margin, and they travel in the plane, the transversus abdominis plane, between internal oblique and transverse abdominis, and that's where we target them for tap blocks. What's really interesting is the upper thoracoabdominal nerve, so T6 to T9, enter that tap plane medial to the anterior axillary line, whereas the lower nerves tend to enter that plane progressively more and more laterally. And this may explain why, depending upon where you stick your needle in your local anaesthetic, you get a slightly differential block or preferentially block one area more than another. Um, the other thing that's interesting to note is that the lower nerves, say T9 to L1, they communicate in multiple connections in that transversus abdominis plane. They form a, a tap plexus. They then, then go on to communicate um, with the anterior cutaneous branches and they have a, a rectus sheath plexus as well. We're talking more about the posterior abdominal wall. This is an area that's probably a little bit, little bit less familiar to most of us. And that requires a little bit more of an understanding of muscles and fascia in the area. And you hear a lot of people talking about fascia for abdominal wall blocks and how important that is. So the main muscles involved here are the quadratus lumborum muscle, the psoas major muscle, and the erector spiny group of muscles. The quadratus lumborum muscle arises from the iliac crest and it extends to um, the transverse processes of L1 and L4. And the psoas major muscle is anterior and medial to it, and it originates from the transverse processes of T12 and L5 attaching to the lesser trochanter. What's important around these muscles is the thoracolumbar fascia. Now, this fascia arises from the spinous processes of the thoracic and lumbar vertebra and is most commonly described as dividing into three layers. Um, the thoracolumbar fascia envelopes the muscles of the posterior abdominal wall, and that's where things get interesting. Because um, the anterior layer of the thoracolumbar fascia is also known as a transversalis fascia, and it follows quadratus lumborum and psoas major up through the diaphragm. And this may explain why local anaesthetic around this fascia may track up into the paravertebral space and affect the sympathetic chain. The other relevance of the quadratus lumborum muscle is that the ventral rami of the spinal nerves pass over the anterior surface of it. So one can conceptualise why injecting local anaesthetic around the quadratus lumborum muscle may actually give you abdominal analgesia. Those people who like to look at pictures as well, I'd, I'd recommend taking a look at the paper and figure one in the paper has got a nice cross-sectional diagram which relates very nicely to what you just said. I do have to give a shout out. One of my previous fellows is now a consultant colleague of mine, PJ, uh, who's uh, involved in doing a lot of the diagrams for our Elsora videos, helped out with that diagram. So I just want to give him some credit for that. Excellent. Thank you. So let's go back to the tap block, which I think, as you pointed out, would probably be most familiar to the listeners. Can you just give a bit of an overview, some revision about how this technique is accomplished? So the idea behind the tap block is the, the idea is to block the T7 to L1 spinal nerves. And in theory, it sounds like a wonderful idea. Uh, the main indications for this type of block are general and colorectal surgery, gynecology, urology surgery, and obstetrics. The issue with with blocks like this, there are many approaches that have been described. The, the technique that was initially described was a landmark-based technique um, involving accessing the transverse abdominis plane via the triangle of Petit. Uh, and that's a gap between the external oblique and latissimus dorsi uh, just above the iliac crest. 
That was a Lamarck technique involving two pops going through the external oblique, internal oblique, and injecting in the transversus abdominis plane. The issue with that, of course, is anything that revolves purely on pops and clicks is potentially unreliable. Uh, there are other structures that can lie in the vicinity, so potentially quite dangerous. So many of us would advocate replacing that technique for a, a visualized or an ultrasound technique. So after the landmark tap block was described, the first technique that really became popular with ultrasound was the lateral tap block. This is often achieved with the patient in the supine position using a high frequency linear probe and placing the gap between the iliac crest and the 12th rib in the mid-axillary line. Once you place the ultrasound probe there, the idea is to look for the external oblique, the internal oblique and the transverse abdominis muscles. And purely you get a needle, eight to 10 centimeter needle, a needle in plane from an anterior to posterior direction and deposit local anesthetic between transversus and internal oblique. The issue with this technique is it doesn't reliably get coverage above T10, above the umbilicus, as these nerves we described earlier, they enter that plane, that tap plane much more medially. So kind of to address this issue, a variation of the tap block was described, the subcostal tap block. Um, this is a, something that not many of the listeners would, would necessarily be familiar with, involving, in order to do this, you take a high-frequency linear probe and you place it sort of parallel to the costal margin in an oblique orientation. Uh, and then you slide the probe towards the midline. And the idea is to identify the transversus abdominis as it literally inserts underneath the rectus abdominis muscle. And when you can identify that plane between rectus abdominis and transversus abdominis, you inject a needle in plane and you can go from medial to lateral or from lateral to medial uh, and hydrodesic local anesthetic opening up that tap plane. The beauty about this is you're aiming to catch the, the upper thoracoabdominal nerves as they enter the, the, the top part of the, uh, of the abdomen through that costal margin. One of the suggested combination techniques is to combine both a subcostal tap with a lateral tap, and that's called a dual tap. Um, and again, you do this in the patient supine. It involves injections bilaterally if you're going to cover midline incision. Um, and when you're doing techniques like this, you're using large volumes of local anaesthetic. So it's important really to think about volume. One of the other concerns that was raised with the lateral tap block was when they looked at the duration of analgesia, it didn't quite match up with what we had got when we started doing the landmark taps. Um, and one of the potential reasons for that is a landmark tap may actually be having its mechanism of action by local anaesthetic tracking towards a thoracic paravertebral space. So to address that, people have talked about using ultrasound and taking the ultrasound probe a little bit further back. And instead of injecting local anaesthetic um, just at the plane between internal oblique and transversus abdominis, targeting the part where the transversus abdominis tapers right the way down to a posterior tap block. Let's move on to the quadratus lumborum block, and this is a technique that seems to have become much more prominent in recent years. Can you explain how that differs from the tap block? Well, some would argue, in fact, that quadratus lumborum block is, uh, or, or variations of the quadratus lumborum block, are actually what we should have been doing the whole time. And actually, if we'd never described an ultrasound guided tap block, we would have gone from landmark straight to a quadratus lumborum block. Um, and this, uh, for me, is a technique, the only technique in my regular practice where I use a curved array probe. And many people would consider this to be a variation of a posterior tap block, or in fact, the ultrasound equivalent of a landmark-based uh, tap block. Again, the indication is to block the T7 to L1 nerve supplying the abdominal wall, 
but access them at a much more proximal location. And there are some more and more studies coming out by my colleague Jens Borglum again, showing that injection of local anaesthetic around the quadratus lumborum muscle may well result in local anaesthetic tracking up underneath the thoracolumbar fascia up towards the paravertebral space. Um, there have been indications of the same for the tap blocks or for abdominal surgery, but there have been some interesting indications where people have used um, the quadratus lumborum blocks or variations of them for hip analgesia or hip arthroplasty. So we sort of start with the lateral quadratus lumborum block. That seems sort of the most natural extension. You have the patient supine and you can use either a linear or a curved array probe. And again, you're needling from anterior to posterior. It's, most people would start off by identifying the abdominal wall muscles and gradually taking the probe posteriorly. And when you do that, you increase the depth and you aim to look for that tapered end of transversus abdominis and you inject local anaesthetic at the lateral aspect of the quadratus lumborum muscle. That was initially described the QL1 block, but we prefer to talk about these blocks in relation to where they are around the muscle as opposed to numerically. So the lateral quadratus lumborum block involves injecting at the lateral aspect of the quadratus lumborum. The second variation, and this is my preferred technique for quadratus lumborum blocks, is the posterior quadratus lumborum block. And here, similar needle path, except you aim to take a shallower angle and deposit the needle at the posterior aspect of quadratus lumborum. And this is my go-to block when I'm using this for, um, for abdominal analgesia for major plastic surgery with um, either abdominal wall reconstructions or for Dieppe flap reconstructions. Um, and here I use a patient in the supine position and I use a curved array probe just to give me that wider field of vision. In both the lateral and the posterior blocks, we're talking about using a volume of local anaesthetic between 20 to 30 mils. And when you're performing these blocks bilaterally, you've got to again think about the total allowable dose of local anaesthetic for your patient. The third variation of the quadratus lumborum block is the anterior or the transmuscular quadratus lumborum block, popularized and described by Jens Borg and the co-author on this paper. Um, to cite this block, it's easier to do to perform the block with either the patient um, in the sitting position or in the lateral position, and it involves in inserting the needle from a posterior direction. Uh, the idea once you've introduced the needle is to traverse the quadratus lumborum muscle and inject at the anterior aspect of it behind the transversalis fascia between it and psoas major. Okay, so thank you very much for that. And I would really recommend listening to this podcast while looking at the image that we alluded to earlier on. So I'll make sure that we tweet the image together with the link to the podcast. So go looking for it. Um, finally, do you have any general tips and tricks for ensuring the success and safety of these abdominal wall blocks that you described? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've mentioned a few times, one of the biggest concerns with large volume blocks that you're performing bilaterally is the potential for local anaesthetic systemic toxicity. Um, and if you think about it, involving large volume of local anaesthetic into a vascularized plane, you can see why that may, may be conceivable. In fact, some people have jokingly suggested that part of the reason that these blocks may manifest their effect is because of systemic absorption of local anaesthetic uh, and having a systemic effect that way. Nevertheless, that's not what we should be aiming to do. And I think there are two things you can do. You could use work out the maximal allowable dose of local anaesthetic and dilute it down. The other thing you can think about doing is using an adrenaline-containing solution to potentially mitigate or minimise the risk of uh, local anaesthetic absorption. The other thing with these newer blocks, such as the quadratus lumborum blocks, is we're 
taking our needles into areas that we haven't necessarily ventured before. And one of the dangers with purely looking at pattern recognition is you don't appreciate the surrounding structures. So my biggest tip when you're performing a quadratus lumborum block is to, and it helps if you can do it in a patient whilst they're awake, is to get them to take a deep inspiration. And often what you'll notice when they do that is the kidney will pop into view and it reminds you of the intra-abdominal structure. So it's really important to use shallow needle angles, especially when you're using the posterior or the lateral quadratus lumborum blocks, and try to make sure you've clearly delineated the borders of the muscle before you start placing your needle in that area. Those are two of my, my biggest tips. I think the other thing is using the, a curved array probe because a linear probe doesn't quite give you an appreciation of all the structures around. Um, many people felt that you know to do a quadratus lumborum block, you have to have the patient in the lateral position. Uh, and I do these regularly now. I think to start off with, there's nothing wrong with putting a little bolster under the hip to allow you to, to drive your curved array probe a bit more posterior. But the more used you get to it, identify the abdominal muscles, see that interaction between transversus abdominis and quadratus lumborum, and you don't need to move the patient that far. Thank you very much for those really helpful hints and tips. And in terms of uh, other resources, I think the, the listeners, as I've mentioned, would be um, very much helped by taking a read of the paper. There's some other blocks in there as well, isn't there? So you talk about the erector spinae plane block and also the transversalis fascia block, um, but also looking on our website for some of the attached resources, such as the ultrasound images. And I think there's some video resources. Absolutely. You know, we've managed to get some, some nice videos uh, from my colleagues from Jens as well, showing these blocks in action. Uh, and uh, the London Society of Regional Anesthesia, Elsora, um, that I'm also a member of and a, a former chairman, we've made some videos for Elsora. So there is a Quadratus Lumborum video uh, available on the Elsora YouTube channel. So please also check that out. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you, Amit, for a fascinating discussion. We hope that you'll join us again next month. And in the meantime, please remember that we welcome feedback on the podcasts and you can follow us on Twitter at BJA Journals for all the latest updates. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the BJA Education Podcast.